Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will and I'm here with my two friends Anna and Ant. Hello. Hi. So before we get started with this week's year, Anna has a very important correction to make, right? Yes, that's right. Um, it's just been something that's been gnawing at me. So, uh, in the you, you know, that we want this podcast to be as factual as possible. Are we really doing this? Are you... <laughs> yeah, okay. this is real. In the 1629 episode, we were talking about the CCGS Sir William Alexander, the Canadian oh, yes. Coast Guard yep. boat yep. that we said was used for counter slooping. Uh-huh. Very important. That is not the correction. Um, we went into a little digression about the difference between a ship and a boat. <laughs> And I said, a ship can carry a boat, but a boat cannot carry a ship. Yeah, That sounds right to me. Yes. Well, this triggered a flood of emails from various <laughs> naval personnel. Uh, and I feel like I need to issue a correction here. The difference is more technical than, the, than their relative sizes. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. The difference between a ship and a boat is which way they heel or skid when turning. A ship will heel outward during a turn. A boat will turn inward. Uh, wow. And if that isn't immediately intelligible to you, think about the difference between a motorcycle and a car. A motorcycle will lean inward during a turn. Right. A car leans outward and everybody in the back seat kind of gets pushed okay, against the okay, outer... Okay. So it's the same concept for a But what ship influences and a boat. that? Is that like where you've got your drive coming from? Like is it's, it where you put your propellers? Oh, it's a whole thing about the center of gravity and uh, w- listen, this isn't a this <laughs> have we, have is we instantly reached the, the, the now new <laughs> limit of your knowledge here. Yes, yeah, we are. <laughs> so next week we have another correction as we talk yeah. about physics. I imagine every week I will have something else to add about the difference between okay, a ship so and a boat. This is a new regular boaty boaty ship ship yes, section. Exactly. Okay, I'm so glad it's actually not a historical correction because then we're going to have to hold ourselves to a really high bar for accuracy, which I'm frankly not willing to do. Oh. It would just occupy an entire second episode <laughs> for every first episode in which we try and assert things about history to then correct them solemnly reading out a list of mistakes (laughs) we made i also do have one other quick follow-up okay uh in the 652 episode last week i'd been or i'd been tasked with a follow-up duty from both of you which was to learn more about lentils (laughs) (laughs) this was very important (laughs) for me very important i've tried guys i've tried to find out anything about them but i can't Oh, conspiracy. Yes, there's a big gap on the internet. No one really knows what a lentil is. And I suspect all my research is being blocked by big quinoa. (laughs) Yeah. We're in deep now, aren't we? We are in deep. There goes our sponsorship deals. Yeah. So anyway, I will keep everyone posted, but it's hard. Do you feel safe? Not really. (laughs) Big quinoa is an ancient grain. <laughs> Should we talk about some history? Yeah, maybe let's do that. Okay, cool. So this week we're going to talk about 1471. Yep. And I'd like each of us to give a three-word preview of what we're discussing today. Anna. Uh my three words will be Marfa Marfa Marfa. <laughs> that's, that's one word three times. I think we'll allow it. Will we allow it? <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, all right, there but, are no rules. Okay, but first warning. Uh, for, absolute first warning. My three words are going to be dark Medici conspiracy. Oh, oh wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, and my words are bastard, jester prickers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay, great. Right, 1471, here we go. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so before we start, I'm very aware that in this series so far, I have mostly been talking about things that have happened in British yes. history. <laughs> uh, and most of these things have involved kings uh, fighting over the throne and Britishness and that sort of thing. So, uh, I, I, and, and some people might be wondering uh, whether I am in some way obsessed with concepts of Britishness <laughs> and, and of power. Yeah. Uh, but... In fact, uh, and in fact, I've had a couple of emails to that effect accusing me of precisely that. Yeah, so sorry I, for those. I just... <laughs> yeah, it, was all, it was the only way we could tell you. Two, two emails, <laughs> one from each of you, <laughs> which laid this out very clearly. So I just wanted to make that clear this week that I'm very aware of those feelings. But there is a... <laughs> A bloody brilliant battle in Britain in 1471 between two powers vying for control of the crown. And I am really going to struggle to talk about anything else. Okay. Wouldn't Uh, expect anything less. Yeah. Be true to yourself. And there are so many great characters in this story, like Warwick the Kingmaker and Thomas the Bastard. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes me really sad that I can't really do justice to all of those characters. So I'm going to have to try and find another time to talk about them. When we do 1470, I can just cheat in some way probably inevitably and talk about some of these people yes please tell me that thomas the bastard is a blue train (laughs) i really hope that that's what this is based on it's the alter ego of the tank engine yes it is thomas the bastard (laughs) i'm excited because he doesn't a lot of people don't realize that the tank engine has a clear nemesis in the program and in the books He's not the nemesis. Oh, not in the fan fiction I've written. Is Sir Topham Hat the PC word for the fat controller? That's his name. His name is Sir Topham Hat. Okay. Oh, God. We're so off track already. No, we're not. This is exactly bang on track. No, this is actually extremely... (laughs) It's going to be a long episode. Okay, great. So, anyway, it would be a completely unrealistic expectation uh, for anyone to think that I wouldn't talk about this amazing battle that happened. So, don't try and control me. Um, And uh, so, I'm going to talk about the Battle of Tewkesbury. 
Thanks. And this took place in Tewkesbury. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've lost me already. <laughs> and uh, this, this is a place in England which is at the confluence of the River Avon and the River Severn. But I'm not going to go into the geography. Good. Because this is... This is not a geography... It's not the randomly generated geography club. It's not. We discussed that as an option and rejected it. <laughs> so this is this is a, a history podcast, so I'm not going to say any more about geography. And people people should go to this battle site, by the way, as an aside, because it, it's, there's lots of activities that happen there. Um, there's, but you shouldn't... There's, there's an, a, an annual reenactment that happens sure. that, that people shouldn't go to oh. because it's just like an intensely dweeby thing to do. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't judge me for my dweeby activity. <laughs> As the uh, local cobbler for this festival, I'm there every year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to alienate those people, but I, I, have, I guess I have. Yes, you have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, a pod- this is a podcast for people who are like a cooler kind of folk who are interested in history, but, you know, don't go to these sorts of reenactments. I'm Nonetheless, for when we talk yeah, about the history. Yeah, what the hell are they reenacting? <laughs> well, right, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you the story. But yeah. I did I did go down into a bit of a rabbit hole about the Tewkesbury Medieval Festival. You can find out more about it at uh, Medievalfestival.org. And some of, some of the features they have at this festival and that they, have, they hold annually include... Roving minstrels. Yep. Dragons. Which yeah. I'm slightly dubious about that one, frankly. And <laughs> this is the best one. A wild man of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. So maybe you should maybe people should go. Yeah. Maybe I'll go. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Maybe okay, I'm back on board with this. Yeah. Okay, so this battle uh, was a hugely significant one in the Wars of the Roses, uh, and that was uh, a series of civil wars between the Yorkists and the Lancastrians. So these two uh, heraldic, who's these two old families who are battling over the uh, the throne of England. And there is so much history and complexity to the Wars of the Roses. It turns out, uh, <laughs> and, and so I'm just not going to try and tell you anything. Or no, I'll tell you some things, but I'm not going to try and tell you everything about them because I would just uh, mess that up, frankly. Okay. Fair. So, uh, so genuinely, listeners should go and read a book about this period uh, because it's really fascinating. Um, and I, and obviously, I'm I'm not going to do that, but but they should do that if they're interested. And uh, I mean, we've spoken before about how much of like the game of Th- of Game of Thrones is mo- is inspired by this period. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of houses allying against each other, double crossing each other, murdering dragons, rivals. Apparently. There's dragons, men of the woods, <laughs> <laughs> men of the woods. So so much. So it's just a very cool period to read about. Uh, and in fact, if people have if people have book recommendations, they should they should email in with those or tweet us or something. So. The battle itself was was between the Yorkists and the Lancastrians, and the Yorkists were in a period of of, of dominance in this big like thirty year civil war period, and they defeated the Lancastrians about seven years before in in fourteen sixty four, and the Lancastrian claim to the throne had been caught and had been chucked in prison, and so at this time Edward, who's the Earl of the Earl of March, had been ruling as uh, King Edward the Fourth for about ten years, and uh, the wife and son of the Lancastrian claimant had been in exile in France, so called Margaret and another Prince Edward, and uh, and for a bunch of very sensible reasons which i definitely won't go into they felt that this was they were running out of time to make an attempt to get the crown back so can i ask one just mm, clarifying questions is there a good side and a bad side Mm. in this or is it is it like the yorks are the good guys and the lancasters are the bad guys or is it more subtle than that well i'm famously a yorkist i don't know about you (laughs) okay great all right carry on i do Uh, like the sausages from lancashire though (laughs) well i don't want to i don't want to I don't want there to be any spoilers about okay. what happened later on in okay. British history, but one side does win. Okay, well, awesome. as has happened in many wars. 
Um, okay, so at this point, uh, Margaret and her son, the Prince of, the Prince of Wales, this Lancastrian claimant to the throne, they arrived, they thought this was going to be their moment. They arrived back in England uh, and they assembled some other loyalists and started heading for their heartlands, which are in Wales. So they're trying to get up to, across the River Severn, into Wales. And the Yorkists are then trying to intercept them and stop them from being able to do that. So the, uh, And the night before the battle, the Yorkists then stay, managed to get refuge in Barclay Castle, which is up near the, this area of Tewkesbury, which it turns out was the last place in the country that there was a court jester oh okay okay yeah right there you go yeah and there's nothing funnier than a court jester right no of course not well this one died (laughs) (laughs) without training his successor by by falling oh Oh. off the top of the castle oh Oh. Uh, as part of a joke like a prank or no Oh, no. No, just as, 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 as a way to die. Okay. <laughs> just tripped and fell. Yikes. And everyone was so sad that his boss wrote an epitaph uh, for his grave, I guess. And that epitaph is extremely confusing. So the epitaph is this, and try and see if you can understand, if you can interpret the meaning of this thing. So, here lies the Earl of Suffolk's fool. Men called him Dickie Pierce. His folly served to make folks laugh when wit and mirth were scarce. Doesn't even rhyme. Slant rhyme. It's fine. I'll allow it. All right, fine. Poor Dick, alas, is dead and gone. What signifies to cry? What does signifies mean in this context? I don't know. Yeah, nor do I. Weird. Yeah. Dickie, Dickies enough are still behind to laugh at by and by. So I get his jokes are still left behind and we yeah. can laugh at the jokes okay, he made, fine. I guess. I mean, like... I think that's really nice. It's quite nice, but also not the best of epitaphs. Right. But I guess, like, if he's the ruler, he gets to write the epitaph yeah. and everyone has to just say that's great. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I guess that he wasn't really criticised. Poor Dickie. Dickie, yeah. what was his second name? Dickie Pierce. Dick, Dickie Pierce. Pierce. Fell off the castle. Yeah. Last court jester there ever was. Anyway, so back to the battle. So the Lancastrians had tried to escape, uh, but the Yorkists had found them uh, by a clever use of scouts called prickers. Uh-huh. Ah, okay. And these highly motivated prickers uh, had pricked very effectively and the Yorkists <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the Yorkists caught them. So the Lancastrians have to turn and fight with these little rivers around behind them in a kind of crescent shape. Uh, so they had quite secure flanks and a quite secure rear, but they also couldn't really manoeuvre very much. And then on the other side, the Yorkists had a little wood off to one side of them. And they're a bit worried about the Lancastrians being able to infiltrate through the woods. So they put three a hundred pike men in there to stop the Lancastrians sneaking through. And they were there facing off against each other and it was up to the Yorkists to try and attack. So uh, they set off to adv- advance, but the ground was unexpectedly really boggy and wet, like those yeah. um, like those really annoying thick bits of grass where you think it's just going to be grass and then there's actually clumps of earth underneath and yeah. then you step on it mm-hmm. and you sort of slightly sprain your ankle and it's really annoying. Yep. Yeah, so it's like that all the way, basically. That sounds awful. And then you come up to the wood line and get pricked by the, not yeah. the prickers, but prickers? The, the pikemen who yeah. I guess are yeah, yeah. assistant prickers because that's quite prickly it's a, too. It's a real pincer movement. It Two is, pricks. Yeah. <laughs> Two pricks, one... Battle. Battle. So their attack slowed and they, <laughs> and they were counterattacked by uh, the Lancastrians who, who sensed their moment seeing this, this uh, attack slow. But then at that moment, the pikemen in the woods came in from the flank so they'd been there to stop this infiltration. There was no infiltration. And they were just sneakily positioned off to a wood now at this point and could then charge into the Lancastrians. And that was enough to make the Lancastrians begin to turn and run. And then Somerset, who was one of the commanders of the Lancastrians, was super pissed. And he wasn't uh, supported by Wenlock, who was another guy who was commanding this, the centre of the force. And apparently he galloped up to him and asked him basically... WTF, like, Mm -hmm. where were you? And then I quote, he did not wait for an answer, but dashed out Wenlock's brains with a battle axe. Oh, 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 wow. Wow. Yeah, pretty pissed. But I guess he won the argument. 
Yeah. Uh, and yeah. emphatically. Uh, so it was a total Yorkist victory, and they found the 17-year-old Prince of Wales in uh, a grove nearby. And despite pleading for his life to one of the Yorkist nobles, he was just summarily executed on the spot. Oh. And despite and and, and great in, in wonderful Game of Thrones style, that same noble had sworn allegiance to the Prince of Wales oh. uh, less less than a year before in France. Oh my god! So God's. that was all. You hate to see him. it. It's great, it's great stuff. And the Lancastrian king, Henry VI, was was shortly afterwards in the, back in the Tower of London. Uh, so this is the, the, the sort of vanquished uh, king uh, claimant to the throne. And then he mysteriously and very conveniently died in captivity. And the deposed king's death was announced to the public with the story that he had died of pure displeasure and melancholy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which better than, honestly, better than falling off the castle roof. Or being killed <laughs> through torture in the Tower of London, you know? There's also that. Right, yes, which is actually what happened. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, right. oh, oh, oh damn. Oh, I, bummer. But I don't think anyone, anyone really brought that. bubble yeah. there. So, so the, out, the outcome was that this Yorkist King Edward was back on the throne and he ruled for another 12 years and he got fat and became part of uh, what then inspired Robert Baratheon's character in oh, Game wow. of Thrones. There Incredible. you go. Battle of Tewkesbury. Battle of Tewkesbury. I've, 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 I've learned so much. Yeah. Well, I've got no follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have too many follow-up questions. I can't triage them. I am talking today about what is now Russia, but mm-hmm. what at the time was uh, an ununited Russia. It was a couple of different principalities and, and regions. Uh, the Grand Duchy of Moscow had been gaining power for decades, but is technically still a vassal state of the Mongol Empire. And uh, the Muscovites, their chief rival is the Republic of Novgorod. And just, I mean, my Russian pronunciation throughout this is going to be hilariously excellent. Um So the Novgorod Republic existed from 1136 to 1478. Uh, It covered part of what's now Finland, northern Russia. It was very prosperous. It was part of the Hanseatic League, a lot of trading. Uh, It was the only principality of modern-day Russia that was never conquered by the Mongols. Um, It had a flourishing art sector, unusually high levels of literacy, lots of democratic ideas. Uh, There was a series of public assemblies called the Vietsia. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and a highly developed government. And now, if you, and I'm assuming that like a higher than ordinary like literacy is like just some. Uh, yes, yeah. As in, like maybe a woman could read, which is really <laughs> is really exotic. big for the yeah. time. If we're being honest. Um. So, in case my sort of leading paragraph hasn't let you guess, these are the good guys in the story. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 Yeah. So there's a historical tension with Moscow between Moscow and Novgorod. The lands in northern Novgorod had lots of resources, specifically furs. Uh, Apparently the area had so much fur that medieval travel accounts talk about furry animals raining from the sky. (laughs) Can I ask about the type of fur, please? (laughs) I imagine it's a lot of mink Mink. and and bear. Probably not many chinchillas. Thank thank you for clarifying. (laughs) But you never know. (laughs) All my first chinchilla, so it would not be going there. Uh, So the Novgorodians fight a series of war with the Muscovites to control these lands, but they keep losing. Uh, and ultimately, in 1456, they tr- they signed the Treaty of Yaselbitsi, which doesn't directly put them under Muscovite control, but it greatly weakens their position. And the boyars, the leaders of Novgorod, know they can't fight the, the rising power of Moscow forever. So one option they have is to ally with Poland-Lithuania. Poland and Lithuania are already allied uh, as, a, as a way to save the republic. And that's when we meet... Our heroine today, Marfa, 
Marfa. <laughs> <laughs> Marfa, Mike, Alpha, Romeo, Foxtrot, Alpha, Marfa. Marfa. Thank you for spelling. Good. <laughs> Just in case anyone thought I was saying Marfa. Is she the first of three Marfas that will feature in the story? <laughs> She is Marfa one. Uh, Marfa Boretskaya, she's the wife of Isaac Boretsky, who's the Posadnik, the town official, uh, a very important man. I consider myself the Posadnik in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the Marfa. <laughs> That's a, you'll see that's a compliment. Oh, damn, I take it back. Uh, Isaac dies, so you're dead, Will. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Marfa survives him. And um, she is, she kind of, inherits his land and his his wealth and she becomes a very wealthy person but she's still this really kind of charismatic influential matriarch of the republic um she when her husband dies she and her sons take up this anti-moscow cause as the de facto leaders of the movement she invites uh the prince of lithuania to novgorod and suggests that he marries her uh to become her husband and the ruler of the republic i can confirm that that tactic doesn't always work (laughs) sometimes they show up and they're like where what am i ruling you realize it was all a lie Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so she just suggests to him they, they marry yeah yeah. And that was successful for her. Well, um, it wasn't because, but for reasons. Okay. Um, okay. Historical so, reasons. Historical reasons. Nice. Yeah. Um, Not geographical reasons. <laughs> no, uh, um, Muscovite reasons, which I'll come on to here. She uh, attempted to form an alliance with Casimir, who's the king of Poland and the Grand Duke of Lithuania. They draft a treaty of the alliance. And now Ivan III, who's the Grand Prince of Moscow, hears about all of this outreach to potential to his enemies and is like, um, no, those maneuvers violate the terms of the treaty that Novgorod signed with Moscow, which is like, you can't fight us and you can't ally with our enemies to fight us. Fair. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So he sends an army to quash any talk of alliance to stomp down the uprising uh, before it can really kick off. This is the Battle of Shilon River in July 1471. Hmm. And the Muscovites and Ivan handily win. Marfa's son, Dimitri, is executed and her other son, Fyodor, is arrested and then later dies in exile. But Marfa... If I can I just say if, if yeah. I if I had been telling the story, it would have been ninety eight percent about that battle. Yeah. And- <laughs> yes. Well that's a big difference I am between so you and I'm glad me. you're telling the story. <laughs> Carry yeah. on. <laughs> you know, there were a bunch of pikemen waiting in the forest, <laughs> and then there was a river. Um, <laughs> so Marfa, despite this immense setback, continues the fight. She uh, she draws on Lithuania's support for the next seven years to keep up the fight against Moscow. But in 1478, Ivan finally defeats Novgorod for good. Marfa's land is confiscated. She and her grandsons are taken into custody, escorted to Moscow. It's unclear what happened to her after that. I think we can probably guess. I mean, the the best possible outcome is that she took the veil and joined a convent, but it's mm. probably likely that she... Best possible outcome is probably like she yeah. goes to Mauritius with a handsome man and uh, <laughs> lives the rest of her yeah, life. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that she great. weaves herself a coat of chinchilla fur. <laughs> is that your judgment that you think taking the veil is the best no, no, possible no. thing that can happen to a woman? <laughs> Wow. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This is Brides a of you. Christ. <laughs> um, according to history. Oh, I see. Um, so no one really knows when or where she died. So it could have been Mauritius. I think <laughs> that, that it's, oh, that's you know, nice. it's, it's, it's not impossible. Um, but one thing that definitely happened was that she became kind of a folk hero. She's romanticized by a lot of later Russian writers like 
Pushkin. Um, and there's a highly stylized lyric poem by Nikolai Karamzin, uh, and I want to read some of it. Mm. Uh, it's very long and very sort of emotional, Perfect. but uh, <laughs> so <laughs> buckle up. Um, and just to set the scene, uh, Ivan's representative is in the middle of the town square at the Vietzia, the assembly, and he's giving them this whole spiel about how Novgorod is great, but they should join up with Ivan because he has awoken the ancient courage of the Slavs and the fatherland must be united and independence is overrated. Um, and the Novgorodians are not having any of this. And so they start shouting, Marfa, 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 uh, <laughs> to get her to, to speak. Uh, and here are just some of her lines as translated um, for us here. So, I will speak the truth to the people of Novgorod, and I am ready to prove it with my blood. Behold, a woman dare speak at the Vetsya, but my family is an ancient one, and I was born in a military camp to the sound of swords clanging. Um, she, okay, goes, she sounds pretty badass. She's awesome. She's so cool. She goes on and on about the history of Novgorod and why it's amazing and why Moscow sucks. And she she ends by saying kind of like, Ivan wants to rule over this great city. It's, it is hardly a shock. He has seen its glory and riches with his own eyes. But all the people on this earth, all future generations would never cease to wonder if we willingly submit to him. What can he offer us? Only miserable words. Only the pitiful desire change when they are prosperous. Wow. I kind of want to fight Moscow now. <laughs> I am riled up. I know. Marfa is just, she's awesome. And she was like such an inspirational figure. And Do, um, do swords clang? Is that the noise they make? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do guess if the swords are clanging in the camp that you're born in, that means the enemy are in your camp. Yeah. So maybe. Or just a lot of training. Because oh, the clangers, be. the clangers, yeah. which British children, British, British adults of a certain age will be familiar with, yeah. uh, famously make a sort of whistling noise on the moon, <laughs> don't they? And... Uh, this is the time in the podcast when any American listeners can go look that up. <laughs> yeah, well, they would do well to... Oh, no, we're, I'm going to aggressively edit this out. Don't you worry. <laughs> They'd do well to go now. So I'm just going to end... Um, I'm going to end w uh, with one more little piece of this poem, which, by the way, was translated by a man named Nicholas Kotar. So I found this on his website. Um, Martha, Marfa, sorry, the mayoress of Novgorod, standing on the platform, glorifies in the ardor produced by her speech. To arouse their minds yet more, she raises a chain above her head, shakes it loudly, then casts it down on the ground. The people, furious, stomp on the chain with their feet screaming. With their feet screaming. Uh, <laughs> Novgorod is our Tsar. War, war, war against Ivan. Wow. Um, gosh. But then, then, just as a reminder, they do ultimately lose. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty heroic. It's that's, pretty cool, uh, right? What an impressive person to stand up and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be on the victorious side. <laughs> You know, like, you'd rather yeah. be the chain. Yeah. No, well, you'd rather be the chain than the screaming feet. Well, I don't, like, wouldn't you? you could, I'd, rather, I'd rather have proper military glory than rhetorical glory. Don't well, you think? That's just less romantic. They yeah. came in and they just. Blew them away with cannons and that was it. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather have the princeling of Lithuania and my chinchilla coat. In Mauritius. <laughs> In Mauritius. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so team, strongly team Marfa over here. Uh, and that, yeah, that is the, the tale of Marfa Boretskaya. Well, if there are any Lithuanian princes out there that we can suggest marriage to, <laughs> do get in touch. You can or find me a, on Twitter at randomlyamfm. Or a convent willing to take someone else for uh, a veil. <laughs> the best possible outcome. Best possible yeah, outcome. we'll dial you in. <laughs> Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, 
and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool. So for my section, uh, 1471, I'm going to tell you about uh, Marcello Ficino's translation of the Corpus Hermeticum to Latin, oh, which is published. Wow. This sounds heavy. <laughs> yes. Riveting. So, are you sure you don't want to reassess? <laughs> no, there's a battle with a river somewhere I'm sure I can cover as well. No, I'm not going to reassess. This is actually fascinating. Um, so, first of all, I recognise those are a lot of words that don't make sense when said together. Um, so I need to break this down quite a bit more. So I'm being unusually structured in that I've broken down my next 10 minutes or so into three chapters. Ooh, okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay, chapter one, conspiracy. <laughs> as ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, who was Marcello Ficino? He was an Italian scholar, an astrologer, uh, an academic, and a philo- philo- philosopher, and also a later priest. Um, he was extremely influential during the early stages of the Italian Renaissance, and uh, he was very influential on the humanist, humanist movement, um, which the humanist movement is the base of Christian thought that carries this to this day, which holds um, the principles of universal human dignity, individual freedom, and the importance of happiness as core tenets of teachings of Christianity, Um, which is kind of opposed to some of the parts of later Puritanism and then some prior to that, where it's about happiness is reserved for the afterlife, so kind of just suck it up. he father his father was a doctor um and he's the doctor to cosimo medici Ooh. and so he was actually mm. part of this medici household and was a tutor to one of the medicis himself so he was like very well like you know thought of and he had really good sponsorship and patronage and you all know my thoughts of medicis by now which <laughs> are they're the core of all historical events um <laughs> There are a lot of batshit conspiracy about them online, by the way. Just new most world, of them world yours. Kind of are yours. Most <laughs> of them are. <laughs> are they connected to big quinoa? Um, they're definitely connected to big quinoa and and boat, you know, uh, <laughs> steering. Um, they, you know, they're definitely massive in the Renaissance for sure. Big time swingers. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, obviously. <laughs> Probably uh, that as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> with this leg up in life, you know, he couldn't go wrong, too far wrong. Uh, being tied to the richest family in Italy, he was able to focus on the most important topics in life, uh, like philosophy and astrology, and what he calls, just quote, the soul, which is mm. definitely a topic of study. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he was very successful, and he brought together this sort of new way of thinking. Um, so this brings us to chapter two. Catholic Church Ahoy. <laughs> he was a trained physician, um, but because the sort of power dynamics, it was very prudent for him. Can to- I just interrupt? Mm-hmm. I think you could structure everything you say on this podcast involving the f- the same first two chapters oh, as you've 100%. got here. I mean, this is everything just- seems to come back to this for you. You'd be surprised how much religion played a role in the history of Europe during this time. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay that's, that's reasonable. Hot yeah. take. Yeah, reasonable. Uh, 
So um, he studied to be a priest because that's actually quite beneficial from a sort of a, a power standpoint as well to have like a Medici-sponsored priest inside the church. Um, but he was uh, really into Plato and sort of rediscovering some of the ancient thinking and ancient philosophers. Um, and he was an influential lead. And when he'd talk, people would listen and he would give these treatises. And uh, as such, that actually led him getting the job of being appointed as the head of the, the now refounded Plato Academy. Oh. Um, yeah, it was very helpful that it was Cosimo that started this, and so he needed to appoint someone as the figurehead, which was this guy. Uh, nepotism was really rife during the Renaissance, um, which is great if you're, you know, part of the Medici clan. Yeah, if you're nepotized. However, <laughs> it was his dabbling in astrology that got him a bit of trouble with the Catholic Church. He was uh, really keen on digging up old texts, some of these hermetic texts, as they were known, some Greek philosophers, it was like allegorical and stories, um, basically plagiarism. Um, and he was accused of heresy by, the, by Pope Innocent VIII. Mm. So he was brought up in charges of saying, like, your teachings about astrology are, like, he, he talked about magic, he talked about a bunch of different things. There was obviously a lot of physics in, involved as well, but it was all sort of blended into, into this kind of, into the sort of slightly heretical at the time thinking. Um, he was acquitted, which is quite unusual, uh, but that has nothing to do with the fact that the Medici Bank was the one that was bankrolling the Catholic Church <laughs> and was responsible for collecting the tithes from oh. everyone. So Cosimo was able to say, uh, we don't have any historical fa uh, basis for this, but it's potential that the Cosimo could have tightened the purse strings on the Catholic Church uh -huh. had one of his favourite uh, you know, household members been, been put up for <laughs> Yeah, and maybe the guy conveniently read his horoscope that morning and yeah. was like, wow, you will totally <laughs> screw over Pope Innocent VIII and, and make me free. That's so strange. Yeah. Um, after this, uh, he was taken off regular Sunday church duty, uh, <laughs> but it meant he could focus more on his writings. So what was his regular Sunday church duty? Uh, like, you know, going doing masses and stuff and like, you know, that kind of thing. Regular priest activity. Right, I don't know, okay. Wearing a cardigan, having biscuits with people. I don't, I don't know. What do priests okay. do? Well, I think wearing a cardigan is their chief responsibility. Yeah, okay, really so cardigan is. on, talk at people, hand out biscuits. Yeah, yeah. Medici has a massive hustle in clothing. God, you're right. It <laughs> goes all the way to the top. <laughs> Got it. Um, but anyway, he, his writings, he wrote um, uh, several books that are quite famous, actually, even to this day. Oh. One was called Of Love, and he also wrote the three books on life about oh. physical health, uh, prolonging life, and then finally... Astral influences. Uh -huh. Amazing. Sorry, astral. Can you, astral. Oh. Yeah, A-S-T-R-A-L. Can you remind me of his name? I'm going to go on Amazon and get prolonging life. <laughs> <laughs> Marcillo Ficino. Marcillo Ficino. Sometimes just called Ficino. Um, so uh, he was a prolific writer. Uh, spoiler alert, a lot of these were kind of slightly raunchy. And he had some really kind of niche views for a man that swore a, a vow of celibacy. And he said that love, it just boils simply down to the desire of beauty. So there was no, like, personality. There was yeah. no, like, it's just mean, beauty. Yeah, I think history bears that out. And his quote from the book is, the purpose of love is the enjoyment of beauty. And that was followed by some rather crude drawings of naked women. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what a the, horny priest. Yeah, it's pretty horny priest. Um, you can see why he wasn't really the flavour of the month with the church. Um, his books had lots of esoterica, magic, sex. Um, kind of sounds like a cool dude, if I'm being honest. Um, but one of the interesting facts is, is that he is the one that coined the term platonic love. He oh, is not. Is he? He is. Really? Because he used to write platonic love letters to his lifelong friend Giovanni Calvacatini. So his mate, who uh, he loved... 
and he would stress in his letters that I love you, but not in a sexual way. <laughs> Here's some pictures that I crudely drew. Um, and he coined the term platonic love, which is a pretty cool fact, I think. That is Do we cool think fact. he doth protest too much? Yeah. There, there could be a little bit of this as yeah. well, for sure. For sure. I mean, I've sure. been on the receiving end of a lot of those letters. <laughs> and so- sometimes it's just true. <laughs> if you're writing a letter, you know, there's, yeah. more, there's more to it than platonic love. Yeah, well. Um, so... This brings us neatly to one of his most famous publications, Chapter 3, Corpus Hermeticum. Okay. So this is a major work of his, uh, which was he published the Hermeticum into Latin. The Hermeticum were a loose collection of Greek philosophical allegorical tales from about 100 to 300 CE-ish, normally widely dispersed, not centralised, and told in the style of this dialogue conversation between two figures. Um, And they're, they're... they're actually quite thought to be more ancient than this. So he was working some other translations mm. that actually were older. Um, I think he, he some Hebrew texts, and then he stopped that because he found this 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 hermeticum that he wanted to do, and that was seen to be more ancient knowledge indeed. Um, this is also this sort of text and this sort of time is also the founding of some of the Gnosticism, Gnostic, Gnostic Christianity, which is um, you know the sort of esoteric side to Christianity, and it's broadly the start of Western esoteric tradition um, of allegorical secrets and things like that. So like you know things like the Freemasons, etc., probably you know riffed on a lot of this kind of stuff from here. Okay. So the corpus, corpus is split between 18 treatises, ranging from sort of foundational myths of the universe to definitions of like philosophical things like what is God, what is thought, what is matter, fate, what is intellectual essence. So it's um, it's pretty self-serving and wafty throughout. And uh, yeah. you read any of this kind of stuff, it's like it reads kind of like a 15-year-old's like diary <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I was going to say, I've um, written a lot of those questions. <laughs> but it was fascinating because uh, Ficini saw this as sort of universal truth that he was inheriting. And he had this really interesting philosophical approach, approaches to thing, which is um, uh, this Prisca theology or arcane theologian sort of philosophy mm. where he was but one philosopher inheriting knowledge, interpreting and passing it forward through mm. time. So he was this lo- part of this chain of long philosoph- a long chain of philosophers and interpreters of divine wisdom um, that God saw fit to progressively unfold over time to new people. As you inherited this knowledge, you would think about it, God would inspire you, and you would discover more about the world. And that's why our worldview was changing over time. And this was... Um, the, you know, the, just unpacking the puzzle one piece at a time there's kind of this beautiful like life is ever evolving and like you're part in it and you're just part of this chain he sounds like the kind of guy who after like philosophy 101 in college would be like what is the same oh, red that God. I see the same red as you see I mean oh, he sounds like he's the, just kind that of that first date with this guy <laughs> yeah. oh my you're sitting in the student wreck or something yeah, and you'd like, be praying uh, for platonic love after geez. a date with him but it is a very different way of thinking things rather than sort of perennial <laughs> philosophy which is this sort of school of thought where there is one defined indelible and immutable truth we just haven't discovered it yet rather than the truth is evolving over time so there's kind of an interesting sort of philosophy um, backing to this so I mean I guess so what is the point um, <laughs> so what of this guy so basically um, this translation put humanity the thought of the individual at the forefront of, of, of cultural advance rather mm. than just just the divine is something unknowing. It's like mm. there's some divinity within us. And that means that you suddenly didn't have the sort of opulence versus God debate. You could have art and culture together while worshipping God. And mm. so it basically got the Catholic Church on side to the Renaissance as well. And so that means you had the sort of pairing of hum- human struggles and human um, tradition and human cultural advances that were also s- still glorifying God because you were celebrating the humanity that you know God had given you. So... That was one of the main striking 
points of the tinderbox for the Renaissance because it shifted the people's thinking and it allowed for worldly beauty investment into one's cells um, and human-centric thought. And it's just profoundly fundamental in subsequent philosophical thought and setting the scene for the Renaissance going forward. So, That's you know, pretty cool. overall, Ficino, good job. We Horty like Priest. that guy, yeah. Good, good stuff. You can be good. rich and holy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that message. Yeah. That's basically it. That's basically yeah. it. Did he, uh, did he think that he was going to discover the universal truth? No, he just thought he was one of the long chain of people mm. and that he would forever continue evolving. I wonder if he thinks it's been found now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think we've nailed it. I think we've got it. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the universal truth is, Will? Let's not answer this. <laughs> <laughs> a well-defended riverbank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elevated positions of pikemen. Sweet. Well, there you have it. 1471. That's everything you need to know. Okay, so we've been getting a, quite a few emails in, and I'd like to read one of them out. That is shocking to me <laughs> how many of them are from navy people mad about boats <laughs> yeah there are a few so here's one here uh from someone called wronged Kretel. wronged Kretel. 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 k-r-e-t-t-l-e mm. gonna guess not their real name i think i went to school with a Kretel. <laughs> <laughs> and i'd like to read it out to you it has a few ups and downs it's a bit of a roller coaster ride so okay. we'll just we'll just go straight into it great the subject is Thank you both for an amazing podcast. <laughs> both. 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 Okay. okay. There are three of us. Yeah. So interesting to know who Kretel is referring to. Dear Anna and Ant. Oh, oh that's Yay! us. Yay. They like us. <laughs> they don't like you. Suck it, Will. So you can see what they've done there. Yeah. Clever. <laughs> Thank you for an amazing podcast. Hey, that's very sweet Wonderful. to hear. Surely we comes, should just stop now. Well... <laughs> I'm afraid, yeah, there is a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a dive down here. So I really enjoy your spoof podcast about two people who don't do enough research and so produce something without <laughs> any academic merit, comedic value, or I assume financial return. <laughs> How do they get it so accurate? I mean, oh, now it's feeling very suspicious that Will is not one of the yeah. addressees. <laughs> it's bang on, isn't it? It's pretty. It's pretty bang on. Anything more to this? Uh, your podcast is the wrong combination of history and comedy, and I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Now, can you can you give me the the pseudonym again? Uh, wronged Kretel. Wronged Kretel. I mean, that wasn't a compliment sandwich. You know, it's good, yeah. bad, good. That was like it was just that, up, down, up, down, up, down. Wasn't it? No, I that think was it was a, like up and then down, down. That down. was just that was just shit on a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> no, because because Kretel, I feel like this is. I feel like it's a woman. I don't know. Well, I've been doing some anagrams over here. Yeah. I've rearranged the letters in wronged Kretel. Ooh. And one thing it can spell is detente walk girl. <laughs> detente walk girl. Girl with two R's and no I. Oh, so I, see. I think you're right. I, I, think, think, it, it, I think you're right. I think we've. Detente, detente walk. walk girl. Well, thank you very much for that letter. And please do keep writing in. Uh, it's great to hear from you. We've had a lot of uh, email traffic. And so we're going to keep replying to you. And maybe you'll get featured on the show. And yeah, if someone wants to pick on Will, that would be Yo, fun yeah, yeah. too. <laughs> also, please, our egos really need some uh, good parts. So and just maybe, and maybe even one day we might be able to have people recommend which year we're going to do and that sort of thing. We can think about that. Oh. We have no clear plans around this, but you can yeah. always email and suggest oh, things, really? and we'll either ignore my, uh, them. PowerPoint or do of ten with years them. progression for this. <laughs> yeah.
Well, we covered off a lot. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, I think that's everything you've ever wanted to know about 1471. Any questions, comments, as usual, uh, find us on Twitter or visit our website, randomlygeneratedhistory.com. And that means it's time to choose our next year. So, Will, can you please boot up the random number generator? <laughs> yes, I can. It's just warming up now. <laughs> Okay, it's at operating temperature. <laughs> and the next year is mm. 1649. Oh. Didn't we do that? Wow, no, we did 1629. Oh, wow. so 20 years later. 20 we years follow later. follow up on the stuff that we... Yeah, we can just do like a sequel for everything yeah, 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 we talked sure. about. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be good. Okay, see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.